CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ market site from a very rainy Times Square in New York City where it is an expiration Friday. The guys here are getting ready behind me and while they're doing that, here's what's coming up on the show. The Bears took down tech this week as the NASDAQ plunges into bear territory. If you're worried it could get worse, Mike Co has a way to buy plunge protection. Plus, as stocks tank, options traders are running for cover in gold. And the chartmaster says it could break out even higher. He'll lay out the levels. And a handful of Dow stocks are hanging tough amid all the volatility. But Dan Nathan says don't trust the rally. He'll tell us which could be the next stock to drop. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we start with the sell-off that is taking Wall Street by storm. All of the major indices falling 7% or more for the worst week in a decade. The Nasdaq getting hit is a hard, hit the hardest as tech continues to get mauled. The group plunging into a bear market now down 20%, more than 20% from its high and on track for its worst month, quarter, and year since the financial crisis. So how much worse could it get? Let's get straight to the chart master at the plasma. Hey, Carter. Well, there is an expression, it's never too late to sell. Some people don't think that's true, but if something's been ascending and ascending for months and years, it, it, uh, the truth is just because it's down a bunch doesn't mean that it can't go down more. Uh, Two-year chart, three-year chart, a lot of ways to draw the lines. Let's draw them one way. Head and shoulders top, fairly um, well-defined. Let's draw them another way. A break in trend, I mean, literally, we bounced off this line repeatedly or close to it over and over and over. And then, of course, we broke this line. And interestingly, after breaking, right, we threw back one time, hit it, and then hit our head. And right here. So none of that is good. Now, put it all together. We've just hit the neckline in a way. We've just started the process. You know, a measured move, so to speak, is considered this kind of thing, so you kind of do that kind of thing. There's some potential for plenty more. Now, let's go, since the entire bull market began in 2009, put in some drawdowns to put this in perspective. What we have, the following uh, peak to trough sell-offs. Down 18, down 16, down 13, down 26, down 18, and this is down 20. We're uh, from much higher levels. Why can't this come down 25 or 30? It certainly can. That's the sell-off in 1516. The presumption is this can go lower. And then finally, talk about the long-term trend line. This is since the 09 low. And this is literally, as you see here, there is your financial crisis low. There is your 2015-16 sell-off right there. And we have just now breached. Take a look at the... We're below the line. Not good. Sell. Something's wrong. I think everybody knows it. Pretty uh, a dire prognostication. Mike goes in San Francisco today. So Mike, how can traders buy some protection here? 
Yeah, I mean, under normal circumstances, maybe when we've seen these kinds of pullbacks, and as Carter just pointed out, we've seen several pullbacks of magnitude almost as great uh, over the course of this bull market that we've seen. But one of the things that didn't accompany that in the prior declines that we've seen, at least in the last 10 years, was sort of, you know, all of the discussion that we have, you know, are we in a bear market? Are we in a bear market? We were hearing that conversation earlier this week. You know, formally, the, the queues are in a bear market now if we use the 20% drawdown as the threshold. And so, you know, we're looking at ways where we can either press a bearish bet or hedge against further declines in our portfolios. We do have elevated options premiums. We have been talking about that for weeks now. I think you still want to take a look at things like put spreads on the broad indices like this. I was looking at the QQQ February 147, 131 put spread. You could spend about four and a half dollars to buy that, paying seven dollars for the higher strike put, selling the lower strike put for about two and a half dollars. And in fact, this was a structure we were looking at earlier today. And I think this is an important point for those of you who are looking at Monday, which could also very, uh, well, actually not Monday, but we're going to have a very short trading day, but you could have a very volatile day. So if you're taking a look at a situation like this, pay attention to keeping that first strike close to at the money, close to the level of the queues, and then look basically for a downside put approximately 10% out of the money in February. These are the prices you're going to be looking to, to spend, essentially, wherever those strikes might be, because are we going to open at 147 on Monday? I have no idea. Yeah, so this is really interesting. I mean, I think the most important chart that uh, Carter showed was that long-term one, the 10-year chart. When you think about it, we haven't had the sort of volatility that we've seen over the last few months in many years in that index. And so now all of a sudden, those charts lined up and they show a massive, massive um, technical break. And I think you should continue to think about, just like on the way up, you bought every dip and it was a good buying opportunity. If we really are in a bear market, selling rallies is going to be the way to do it. If you're a trader um, waiting for that bounce to use Mike's trade structure in a tactical way makes a lot of um, sense too. So I like the width of the spread that he's got there. I don't like walking in Monday morning and doing it. And I'm sure you would say I wouldn't be pressing a short after a week like this. And I'll make one other point is like it's very unlikely people that we're going to crash next week. Okay. It's just with Christmas and that sort of thing. And it's really likely at some point we will have to have a reflex um, bounce, a little bit of a bounce. And it's going to give you an opportunity. The real risk, and I think everyone is wondering because no one knows, the real risk is that we've had an avalanche, right? and things have cascaded, and it's very hard to time when that's finished. But the real risk is that there's plenty of people holding in till the end of the year for tax uh, reasons. There are plenty of uh, bank debt that's being traded that people don't want to mark to market, and that January could be a virtual murder. I mean, there is every possibility that that happens. Uh, Could you get this little nice little bounce this end of the week? But the real risk is that when people reset the clock, that people who have not wanted to for reasons of year-end purposes take action all take action en masse in the first goings of the year. Mike, last word here. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, to, to see us press additional shorts going into this coming week, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a bear market rally in this. And look, you could put the trade on at that point. It'll probably be slightly higher strikes, and you'll just be that much better positioned uh, in the event that we see further weakness in January. All right. Well, it has been a brutal few months for the markets, but there are a few Dow stocks hanging tough. Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Verizon, all clinging on to gains this quarter. So are these safe bets in this kind of market environment? Dan is taking a look at P&G. 
Yeah, so, you know, investors obviously think that they're safe bets. They like that 3% dividend yield, especially with a 10-year coming down. They like the nature of their business being consumer, uh, consumer staples, but their valuations kind of reflect that. And if I'm looking at Procter & Gamble here, um, you know, this thing trades about 21 times, low single digits expected earnings growth and 0% sales growth. Obviously, it's a cash flow machine here, but the stock just made a new all-time high last Friday. Um, you know, when I think about this, it's not too different. We described to trade in the utility uh, ETF, the XLU, a couple weeks ago had kind of a bad week. Even Procter had a bad week, not as much as the market, but it had a bad week. I look at this on a valuation basis. I look at that chart right there. I say to myself, would I play for a breakout here knowing what I know about the global economy, knowing about the strength of the dollar, knowing about investors' focus on valuation? I'd say no. And if anything, I'm looking down and I'm looking at that October gap in the low 80s and I'm saying to myself, you know what? This is a place where I can spend some premium and make a bearish bet on something where if things go the way Carter thinks they're going to go in January, and I actually agree with that after a bit, I think January could be really nasty, correlations are going to go up, and a stock like this is going to go to low, uh, uh, low 80s. So today when the stock was trading about 91.80, I could look at January expiration, which should catch their fiscal Q2 earnings, and I could buy the January 90, 82 and a half put spread, paying $1.50 for that, buying one of the January uh, 90 puts at $1.90, selling one of the 82 and a half puts, at 40 cents. It costs me 150. It breaks even at 88.50. I can make up to $6 between 88.50 and 82.5. And my max risk is that $1.5, you know, less than 2% uh, of the stock price. Um, I like the risk reward here. I'm risking 1.5. If the stock goes down to 82.5, it's down about 10%, um, then I can make four times my money. I like the risk reward here. And I don't like the setup in a name like Procter right here. Mike, what do you say? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in staple stocks, historically, when we've recommended directional trades in names like this, the options premiums are typically so low that an outright call or an outright put makes sense. But actually, in Procter's case, those options premiums have shot up considerably, even though the stock hasn't seen the kind of weakness that we've seen in other areas of the market. To put things in perspective, you know, these are options that put that he's buying are probably trading around 25% implied volatility. That's up from maybe 16% or 17%. So we're talking about options that are 50% more expensive than they would normally be, even though the stock isn't trading that far off of its all-time highs. So that's why we're looking at a put spread. And the other thing is, this is a relatively low beta stock. If it does pull back, it's not going to crater. But it is trading at a high valuation. You know, over the last two years, it's probably trading at, you know, maybe a 10, 15 percent uh, premium to its historical valuation. So you're basically looking for a pullback to that historical valuation. And that's essentially the put that he's selling. Uh, so, how does the chart look? Well, there's a lot of things, of course. What we know is it's who you are in the market. If you have choice, free will, cash is better than almost anything. If you're fully invested and must be because that's your mandate or that's your preference, Procter & Gamble is going to win in the event of a market sell-off. The gap. The gap that you cited in October. Now, what's interesting about that day, if you were to look at any given day, the spread between Procter & Gamble and S&P, they could both be down, they could both be up, one could be down, one could be up. The spread that day was the biggest one-day spread over the S&P since the crash of October 19, 1987. That's how big that gap was. 
is that gap an ultimate magnet? Do we fill that? There is every possibility that that Yeah, happens. and I would just add one other point. That this is, look at that chart. This stock is up 30% from the lows off of fundamental reasons when the stock market was trading very well earlier in the year. So I think it's the sort of thing, if the stock market stabilizes, I don't think this thing outperforms. And if it goes down, sooner or later, it's going to play a little catch up in the near term. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there signing up for our newsletter, it makes for the perfect stocking stuffer. So don't miss out. Here's what's coming up next. Options traders are flocking to gold. And Mike Coe and Carter Worth say you should be buying too. They'll break it down. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. The market meltdown sending options traders running for cover in gold this week. Our Dom Chu is back in the newsroom with more. Hey, Dom. Well, gold is glittering again, Melissa. Okay, maybe glittering is a little bit of an overstatement. While we have seen a pretty sharp pullback in the major stock indices, gold prices have actually posted just modest gains on the week, as have gold mining stocks. Both the underlying commodity and the equities that are levered to them are taking a run at reclaiming their 200-day moving average or longer-term trend line. Options are the instrument of choice for at least some of the traffickers in this gold trade. Options trading has spiked when it comes to key exchange-traded funds. Contracts tied to the Spider Gold Trust, for instance, that ticker GLD, they've more than doubled in terms of last week's trading volume. Same goes for the contracts tied to the Vanek Vectors Gold Miners ETF, that ticker GDX. Even Jim Cramer, CNBC's own Jim Cramer getting in on the trade, telling investors to seek safety in the precious metal on Mad Money last night. What happened to there's always a bull market somewhere? But right now it's in gold. Well, that's perfect, isn't it? That's why I always bring on Rangold, the miner with a 3.2% yield and nice production growth. Or you can buy the GLD, the ETF that mirrors the price of gold. And while the trading action has been bullish for gold and miners, they are still well off their highs from earlier this year. Gold prices around 8% off their highs and gold miners, that ETF, around 17% below. So with questions about economic growth and inflation next year, if there's any at all, Melissa, will gold still be a good trade in the new year? Back over to you. All right, Dom, have a great weekend. Thank you. Well, Carter says now marks a golden opportunity to buy the yellow metal. He's uh, back at the plasma to break it down. Carter. I mean, look, gold's defensive. Some people think it's stupid or a barbarous relic. Uh, it has its place in the investment landscape. Let's look at uh, a couple of charts. First of all, we know what's going on in various equity ETF fixed income instruments. This is the SHY. It's short-term, one- to three-year bonds. It has all the hallmarks, yes, of a bearish to bullish reversal. And the key here is that the 150-day moving average is starting to flatten. Let's move on. How about the longer term? We know the TLT um, is also, that's shy, the first one was TLT, excuse me, also starting to bottom and turn. Now let's look at uh, gold. What we know is the same thing. This is all very developmental, that would be the word, rather than impetuous. An impetuous move is when you move quickly to a downtrend line, at which point you can fail. But when you, in fact, move deliberately and bottom like this, 
then it starts to ultimately turn into something that's actually quite positive. And that's my bet on gold here. Now a few things. Here's gold going back to the lows of the 1990s. Here's the well-defined tension. We're right into the apex of this standoff. I suppose you could bet that it's going to break the downside, not the bet that I would make. I would say gold likely resolves this standoff up and out. And then in terms of whether gold really is a, a real thing or a barbarous relic or uh, just a joke, uh, let's look at a three time frames. This is from the absolute high. Um, that would be October 11, 2007, from the prior bull market peak. Here is gold versus the S&P. Call it even money. So no joke here, gold has paced the market. How about if we go to the 2000 high? Now look at this. Gold blows away the market. But you could say, well, what about dividends? Fine, watch this. Here's with dividends reinvested. Gold is a very serious thing. It is a winner in cycles when it needs to be, and I think gold is stepping up to do something interesting here. All right, so Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, with gold because, of course, you know, the other thing that we have to think about is just simply supply and demand and also what the broader sort of framework is for stronger gold prices. One of them is if you're long gold, you're essentially short the U.S. dollar. And in a long-term sense, I think it would be very easy case to make that maybe one should be short the U.S. dollar. It's a short-term trade where we are actually hearing the opposite. And now, because the Fed is basically being backed up against the wall, you might actually argue that that case has also been hurt. The other thing is CapEx in the miners has been dropping and the quality of the metals coming out of the ground has been declining. That means you're going to be supply constrained in gold. Both of those things, I think, are strongly supportive. So what I was looking at was the February 119-129 call spread in GLD. You could spend $2.15 for that lower strike call and then sell the higher strike one against it for $0.30. Net-net, you're spending $1.85 for a $10 wide call spread. Now, normally with call spreads, debit call spreads, we don't get to buy at-the-money call spreads for this kind of risk-reward relationship. But because GLD is underpinned by a commodity, commodities often see out-of-the-money calls traded premiums, where equities see out-of-the-money puts traded premiums. That's one of the reasons you get this dynamic where we're getting better than a four-to-one payout at that higher strike. And also, I would just quickly point out that we're not really spending a great deal of premium relative to the underlying price in GLD right now. I like gold. This is a trade I'm going to be putting on. I also like this trade structure because I think you're spending relatively little to basically make a bullish bet after the increases in the price that we've seen recently. Does Dan like gold? I don't like gold. But I, I but, knew but, you were going but, to but say I, that. But I, I will tell it. you this. I don't have a good reason not to like it. I mean, this is essentially making a bearish bet on equities, on global market crisis, that sort of thing. And you think back to the, like, the time when it was at its highs in the last 10 years. It was 11, 12, when, when European uh, sovereign debt crisis was a thing, and it was trading at 180. So if you're looking at this market, and Mike just said, my proctor options but puts are really expensive, these calls are really cheap. And he's getting you know less than 20% of the width of this spread to have this exposure. So to me, if you're bearish on everything, then this is a good call spread to buy. I mean, it, 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 let's just say this. It's really not whether you like gold or not. No yeah. one think about yeah. it. No one's like, right. This is a trading show, right? Yeah. It's fast money. It's options. Yeah. Can one make money on a directional bet on this security? But your chart is, think, the, is, the best, is the best case. What, the tension after a five-year well, consolidation. So I, a I great blow-off yeah. high in 2011, yeah. a collapse, which was a 50% retracement, and now working in tighter and tighter and tighter. Something gives. And now some of you say, yeah, Carter, it's going to give to the downside. I don't think so. Okay. Still ahead. 
The sell-off this week taking no prisoners as even the so-called safety sectors tank. And the charts point to even even bigger breakdown ahead. Plus, got a question about the markets or maybe you're just stuck in traffic, you're bored. Either way, you can send us a tweet to at Options Action and we will try to answer it later in the show. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. More Options Action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. It is time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Now, earlier this month, Dan said the utility sector was heading into the danger zone. If you go back and look at a 20-year chart and you look at the relative outperformance for a little bit in utility stocks, in the XLU, um, into the past market corrections or market crashes, ultimately it follows suit. Not too long after either. When it was trading about 55 and a half, you could look out to market expiration by the March 55, 49 put spread, paying $1 for that. Well, the XLU just had its worst week in a year. So, Dan, what do you do with this? Yeah, so this is a pretty consistent theme here. We're looking for some cheap vol, and we're looking for it to see, you know, what's going to happen when this thing goes down. So this stock is down, or excuse me, the ETF is down close to $2. This trade is worth double of what you would have paid for it when it was 55 and a half. And I think you stick with it. You have until March. You have a really wide uh, range of profitability to the downside. I'm targeting basically a move back towards 50. But remember, when you have a double in a position like this, sometimes it makes sense in a volatile market to take off half and let you know, uh, let the profits run a little bit on the other half. So, Well, again, this is, you don't know who you are in the market. What we know is that we just heard it was the worst mm-hmm. move in a week yeah. for XLU. It was the worst move in 10 years or more for the market, right? So right. everything goes down if it's going down. If you have to be invested, people, some people do, you want to be invested sure. as long. But if you really want to do what you can do is get out, have cash, be prudent. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Time for the final call, Mike Coe. I'm not a gold bug, but I do like gold here. I think February call spreads are the way to play it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Carter. I think from time to time you can be a gold bug. So long (laughs) GLD and short QQQ. Dan. Yeah, I think the theme here is find some cheap vol and put it on. Uh, January could be a little ugly, but don't press things on a holiday week. And happy holidays, everybody. And that does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Mad Money starts next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.